Welcome to Pickle Me This, the officially unofficial podcast for Rick and Morty on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm Aaron. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we're covering Season 3, Episode 4, Vindicators 3, The Return of World Ender. Here's Aaron with the recap. Rick and Morty are summoned by the Vindicators, an elite team of superheroes who have saved the galaxy on several occasions. Rick is reluctant to join the fight against the World Ender, but Morty looks up to the Vindicators as actual heroes as opposed to Rick's more chaotic neutral alignment, and invokes his right to direct every tenth adventure in order to heed their call. Once assembled, Rick's jealousy over Morty's affections causes him to put the Vindicators through a grueling and gruesome Saw-esque chain of puzzles designed to reveal the heroes as just as selfish and fallible as Rick himself. Rick succeeds not only in destroying the Vindicators as a team, but also Morty's dwindling faith in the concept of goodness itself. All right, Aaron, what do you think about the Vindicators? Uh, This is a solid meat and potatoes Rick and Morty episode that may rank higher or lower depending on how into the whole superhero zeitgeist that you are. (laughs) And I know that I'm pretty into it and you're pretty meh. So I imagine I liked the episode a bit more than you liked it. Are you saying I'm the Rick and you're the Morty here? Uh, sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> that's that's not totally unfair. Maybe not so much in the chaotic neutral, but in the, uh-huh. the skepticism of superheroes and their, their daring do, sure. Yeah, and yet, you know, I see everyone that comes out. Uh, I, I found this episode just to be maybe the the lowest low personally for Rick. Like, I, I think that everything Rick does in this episode is pretty awful, mm-hmm. and in a in a more personally offensive way than he usually does it hmm. it's just it's the, diarrhea, the, the, the right? person that rick is in this episode i feel is insufferable just the worst and i would never want to hang out with this person yeah and he's yeah whereas it, some of their adventures i'm like oh cool okay yeah rick's a cynic and he's right. a nihilist but this adventure is fun and it'd be fine to go on it not this one. And you kind of expect that there is going to be some kind of like sweetening of Rick by the end, mm-hmm. you know, that he's going to have like his his uh, affections for Morty are going to be tested or there's going to be something to hang the hat on. But it's just <laughs> no, it's just uh, I don't know. One of the things I thought was going to be it will be interesting to discuss is what the Vindicators actually being kind of shitty people themselves does to the message of the, hmm, the okay. episode. Um but yeah, like it's they're all solid gags about superheroes, um, but without being like just kind of dumb parodies of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, like there's some kind of insightful things, and they do the thing that like Dan Harmon does so well, which is take, you know, well-worn material we've seen in other places. Like we've seen tons of lovers' quarrels. We've even seen like very heightened, you know, in in the golden age of television and movies, just just heightened absurd love triangles and whatnot but we've never seen like one between a million ants and a ghost train conductor and <laughs> sure. a supernova woman and just like it's it's funny it, it just in the same way you know it's kind of funny to hear like a regular domestic argument um you know it's it's that much funnier when you've got these people in these high profile superhero positions doing it uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of humor just in juxtaposition, regular high drama with the melodrama of superheroes, which I quite enjoyed. 
Uh, before we get into the episode, there's a bit of sad news that's uh, befell the Rick and Morty community within the last week. Mike Mendel uh, passed away just two days shy of his 55th birthday. Uh, if you didn't know it, Mike was a line, line producer on Rick and Morty as well as The Simpsons. Uh, his work uh, in the industry goes all the way back to the Tracy Ullman show, apparently where he got his his first break. Uh, Mike was an Emmy winner with over 25 years in ex- of experience in the industry, and he won his fourth Emmy for the 2018 Rick and Morty season and hmm. produced a total of 22 episodes of the show. I saw that Justin Roiland, uh, you know, one of the obviously co-creators of Rick and Morty, treat, tweeted a little tribute to him over the weekend. Uh, my friend, partner, and line producer Mike Mendel passed away. I'm devastated. My heart breaks for his family. I don't know what I'm going to do without you by my side, Mike. I am destroyed. Uh, I think we can all agree that 55 is far too young to pass on. Yeah, absolutely. And he leaves behind his wife and their two children. So uh, we'll be thinking about them. And uh, rest in peace, Mike. Okay, let's talk about uh, the Vindicators 3 Return of the World Ender. So let's talk about the superheroes literally themselves. It seemed like it was the writer's intention to not just like do parodies, like like Mad Magazine style parodies of superheroes, but to come up with a team uh, kind of like what the, uh, Alan Moore did with The Watchmen, where it's like, these are a plausible superhero team that would you would probably be stoked to read if they had their own little comic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the humor only comes in the absurd situations they find themselves in. Uh, so, and I like how Rick, he's, he contrasts these guys with himself by saying, well, I guess my ability is I can do anything, but my limitation is only when I want. So, you know, Rick sees himself <laughs> as above these people that essentially oh, yeah. every one of these are just lesser, more gimmicky versions of what he can already bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he sees himself as the, you know, the Superman. Yeah. The one, the one who doesn't really need the rest of the team. Right, right. Uh, even though he's like the Batman version of that. Like he's, yeah. his, his mind provides him with all the power that he needs. Um, I like uh, there's a whole lot of like great scenes where like I love their Avenger style team up when they infiltrate the base like, you know, Supernova summons some kind of cosmic storm. Alan has a train bust into the outer wall of the base. Uh, you know, f- f- uh, Million Ant-Man is a scout to get shot up. And there's this like, uh, you know, uh, I've lost 400 ants. Queen is laying more. And that's that's very comic booky. You know, like comic book characters love um, narrating what they're doing and how their powers are working. Like, I've taken massive damage, <laughs> but the power cosmic is stitching my body back back together. And uh-huh. that's that's a that's a reference to that. Um, and then I love when it's time for Rick to shine. Like he gets his like pocket laboratory out and he does all this science. But it's just to make this like tadpole. He squeezes into his eyes to treat his <laughs> runaway. Right. His runaway uh, uh, hangover uh-huh. before he gets down to do the you know the the actual thing that destroys the turrets. Um, yeah, and, and that's so matter of fact too, right? It's just like uh, Rick, can you help out? Sure, let me fix my eyes, and then uh-huh. I'm just gonna drop this thing on the ground. And it's gonna do it. Right. Like, right. Th- there's no. Oh, well, I'm gonna pull out my uh, X speed defibrillator that's going to attach to the turrets right. and take. Right. He doesn't do any of that. He just does it yeah he fails he refuses to participate in any of the superhero period yeah, uh, yeah even starting from like uh 
there, there's a lot of uh, talk about the literal call to adventure because they have this like world, this Vindicator's beacon, uh, <laughs> and uh, he just refuses to, to attribute to any of the pageantry. Especially, I, I was going to say even though, but I think especially once he realizes that Morty is completely bought into these guys, mm-hmm. like you know, uh, as, as just as just heroes, and he, you know, like there's this argument where Rick feels like. They're arguing about like facts and logic and semantics and or like, you know, against the vindicator self-image of themselves. And, and Morty's like, no, Rick, these are I'm the ones calling them heroes. They're my heroes. I see them as heroes. And um, and that that kind of kicks off the rest of the entire episode. Right. Like right. The, this plan that Rick hatches after he goes and gets so drunk uh, that he can't remember what he did. Right. Yeah, and and maybe we can use that as a springboard to talk, you know, more about Rick because that's very much a like one of the things I realized is Rick cares more about being needed than wanted hmm. uh, during this episode, and you know that's that's a <laughs> that's not a quality I find super attractive in people, but you can go you can go to either extreme with that. It you probably, can it, you can value being wanted too much. Yeah, it can it it ties into the pickle rick stuff too where like you know beth was like uh one of the things that she admires and is const- you know is, is a matter of consternation is that rick doesn't need anyone for anything yeah. and that seems like that's a big currency in their relationship it's like oh it's all about power i mean right like this idea that he values being needed is a power play right? right like he doesn't need anything because that would show his weakness that would mean that he is not you know the all-powerful being he sees himself as right the disconnect for me in this plot because it's it's pretty basic is that at the end everything everything in this whole episode points to that rick's doing this because he's angered that his grandson sees him as heroic and the not but mm-hmm. like the noob noob joke kind of throws a monkey wrench and all that yeah, I, that's that's one of the terrible things about this episode, and I don't mean that from a writing perspective. I mean that uh-huh. from a Rick perspective. Right. Uh, he writes everyone off in that in this blackout stupor that he's in, uh, and decides he's just going to kill them all. Right. I mean, Morty included. Yeah, it seems like it. And 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 when you look at you know sober Rick versus drunk Rick, or, or I guess blackout Rick. Sober Rick is trying to say, oh, maybe there's some kind of redemption here. You know, maybe Morty is the thing that he really cares about and we should put him on the platform and stuff like that, all while trying to deny that he cares, really. Right. Um, but but it, it turns out that that's not true, right? Like, he's willing to let Morty die. He's willing to, because Morty has shown his loyalty and his affinity for these vindicators, mm-hmm. Rick has written him off. Rick writes off anybody who disagrees with his own opinion because he views himself as the only person who could possibly be right about anything. Yeah, the other way I was trying to look at it is, is this an interaction between, you know, let's call him Sober Rick. So, like, Sober uh-huh. Rick gets wounded because Morty uh, he, Morty looks up to the Vindicators more than he looks up to, to Rick, and that triggers Rick's jealousy and probably his, like, shame and loathing, mm-hmm. which makes him take the decision to just get heroically drunk. Then once you've got blackout drunk Rick, then it's just random chaos because he can no longer form coherent thoughts. And like, he like loses the like drunken Rick loses the plot of why he's doing this. Uh And it just goes to like noob noob laughing at his jokes. So it's like, 
I think there's a chance for Rick to legitimately have the the higher message of he loves his grandson, he needs his grandson's uh, approval and admiration. Mm-hmm. Um, because he doesn't get it, he becomes his other kind of like monstrous character who just, you know, shits himself and can and and, and conceives of all these uh, saw style puzzles. And by t- the time he gets to the end, he's like, he, he's not with it enough to even remember. Yeah, it's funny because Rick, I think, would protest the statement I'm about to make, but he's a very sensitive person. Mm. Like, when when people show that they both don't need him and also don't want him, right. he gets extremely defensive. Right. Uh, and he's extremely sensitive about it, and he, you know, says, fine, fuck you guys. Right. I don't need you either, and he, he goes into his drinking hole. And just turns into a monster. I wonder if that says something about people that like have layers of like personal armor or walls that Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, they say that like, you know, that they're, they're not, they're not uh, that way. They're not weak. They're not, um, they're not sensitive, right? Because they've got all these walls and armor, but it could be that like there, it's so rare that something gets through and penetrates it that when they do, they are super reactionary you know it's like yeah it takes a lot to actually get through that and penetrate it but if you ever do the reaction is disproportionate to the to to the injury yeah i think that's what we see in this episode Hmm. Hmm. i mean it's a like it's a pitiful state because he clearly you know has a lot of strong emotions and passions about this but he has no way to communicate those like he's Mm -hmm. like the idea that he just uh take morty aside and be like you know i've been really thinking about what we talked about and (laughs) i I want it like that just never occurs to him he'd rather invent this death game involving three pointers Uh um and and like uh you know also that like morty realizes that all of the themes of rick's puzzles are that you are not special. The thing that you think is makes you special yeah. doesn't make you special. Yep. And Rick is and like and once you he can break you down to the not special category, then it's just uh who's more effective and the answer is almost always always Rick. Oh yeah, in Rick's mind it's always him. Yeah. Um there is a detour into the the whole Israel issue. Do you, get, do you have any comments about uh, no, he's he's very defensive about not being anti-Semitic. <laughs> right. But also, like, as a person blackout drunk, he can, like, there's, there's, it's just a weird, it's it's a weird reaction from Rick because he's very rarely, like, sh- ashamed of his of himself. And here's mm-hmm. something he's doing, apparently, often when he gets blackout drunk, he just starts ranting about Israel. Not in a particular anti-Semitic <laughs> way, but just in a, you know, he's, cons- I, I don't, I, I, He's probably concerned the same way he's concerned about 9-11 being a excuse to hijack our rights, right? Okay. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he thinks the Jews control the world. It's just more like, this has been an issue for as long as I've been alive, and nobody's fixing it. And But probably when he's blackout drunk, who knows? Maybe he goes to some dark places. Maybe he's a little more anti-Semitic than he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting that he's like, what did I say? What did right. I say about it, right? Like. Does that belie some kind of anti-Semitism in his own mind that he just doesn't show to other people, right. or has or as Birdman and like uh, Birdman, Birdperson rather, and uh, Squanchy like took him aside one morning and be like, "Hey, man, it's it's some of the things you said <laughs> last night were not cool," and he was as big a surprise to him as anybody. Yeah, and now he just doesn't say him anymore, so he's yeah. all worried. I, I found it pretty. Sort of insightful in in a hilarious kind of way. I mean, Rick's, you know, when he shits, 
okay so first of all this is this is a man who is complaining about the linens on the beds as a as a way to be like super petty about how shitty their ship is whatever you really think these people are going to put out the good linens for for someone who's just going to shit all over them yeah it's true <laughs> they they know man they're they're not giving you the the 2000 thread count sheets sorry uh but but also that line that um vance says when when they're staring at his body and and they say something about um there there rick says there is no good or bad or whatever uh it's just a construct right. and vance says something tells me he needs that to be true yeah which is pretty insightful because like rick i, I think if rick were to reflect on a lot of his actions not a lot of them would land in the good category under typical definitions right even so, probably charitable def- definitions. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, to to keep, uh, I guess, his own sense of self-worth, he kind of has to eschew those uh, constructs, as he calls them. Right. Otherwise, his, his whole worldview would just crumble. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to, like, discuss uh, in some kind of, uh, you know, free speechy kind of, there are no... There are no things that are off limits uh, to discussion, kind of like maybe they're in, in absolute universal terms. There isn't such a thing as, as good and evil. There isn't any like mm-hmm. universal scorekeeper. It's like, you know, deducting points and, and giving credit. Um, but that's a whole different conversation than saying, OK, that might may well be. But now let's go with like what meaning we've we've we're, we're bringing to the universe ourselves. What kind of what kind of order are we trying to pose on the universe? And mm-hmm. you look at Rick and, you know, it, to what extent he's trying to pose any kind of order it's to his own benefit. Um, and a lot, a lot of times to many, many, many people's <laughs> detriment. Like, yeah. Yeah. You talk, you talk about the, the microverse, like potentially billions, if not trillions of people living as a detriment, just to make, make so we can start his car in uh-huh. the morning. And it's, he doesn't see that as bad. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like the other thing about Rick and Morty is it's also like um, anytime you want to get too high and mighty about any of that stuff, you just reflect about like how we often is in, you know, first world countries, Western countries are kind of living a microcosm of that mm-hmm. without really thinking about it. So, yeah, true. Uh, I like the part about uh, Morty trying to dis- disable the neutrino bomb. Uh, and Rick makes a comment about like how many neutrino bombs have you had to disarm anyway? And he's like, too many, Rick, too many. <laughs> and this goes like goes back to the pilot. Like the very first thing we see is Rick, you know, passing out as a neutrino bomb's going off. And you're like, uh-huh. was that the forty percent that just don't work because Rick's too fucking drunk to make it work, or is that one of the first successes Morty had at disarming a neutrino bomb? I, I would argue that. Even if he's just disarmed that one, it's too many. Yeah, right. So, yeah, but Morty's right here. Right. Disor- disarming any amount of neutrino bombs <laughs> as a 14-year-old is is too many. Uh-huh. Uh, there's... Uh, and then at the end where you've got this giant... Uh, the, I guess the end of the episode felt like a little bit of rushed whatever. It's like, you know, there the, the, the episode was done saying all the things I wanted to say but you have to have some kind of resolution to where this thing is lifting up to. So why not have it be a party headlined by this logic guy that they're able to get into the studio? And yeah, why not? It's Beth fun. is there. Some mm-hmm. are like, he invited the, like all the fan, like <sighs> Rick's a, a curiously high functioning blackout drunk <laughs> in particular areas. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's able to coordinate all this party. Like, I wonder that's how he spent like the mo- majority of his non-blackout time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, nursing a grudge against Morty and planning this elaborate party, and everything else was, you know, some <laughs> type of uh, blackout, drunk, diuretic, the uh, diarrhea work working. Yeah, I mean, he he solved the problems in like two hours, and he mm-hmm. had the rest of the year to go. So, mm-hmm. planned a party. Uh, I mean, Rick, Rick, in those moments, like I know people who, like smoke an amount of weed that would turn me into a vegetable and then just you know do their job mm-hmm. like all day and mm-hmm. i i don't understand how that works rick is one of those people uh, apparently so i don't know good for him reminds me of what Tyrion says in game of thrones about being an alcoholic it's like uh if it were easy everyone would do it <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard work to put in the to put in the reps to get to that kind of high functioning high functioning place i did like the uh, even though I kind of like indifferent about the ending of the episode, I thought the final joke where, you know, Rick's like, who the fuck is noob noob? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of bringing it full circle to sober drunk or sober Rick has loses the plot of what blackout drunk Rick is doing in the same way blackout. Uh, what blackout drunk Rick is doing is almost like another kind of identity that Rick has. Yeah. Because yeah. he's got this whole relationship with noob 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 and this whole you know, rationalization process, the sober Rick just doesn't have any memory of at all. And that was pretty, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, poor Noob Noob. He gets shit on literally throughout the entire episode. That scene where it's like, it's going to be his first mission Mm -hmm. and he's so excited. (laughs) Uh, And then he's he's got all those guns and assault rifles and stuff and uh, Nova just turns it into a mop and bucket. (sighs) I won't be pretty busy with this. Uh, Along the lines of miscellaneous stuff, there's a really nice touch in all of these saw style videos where you can kind of look in the background and see the remnants of Rick planning this elaborate saw series of traps. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool, you know, and also he's ordered a pizza. Like he's just having a good time. Sure. uh, Being super drunk and planning their doom. Yeah. And it's only a stuff in retrospect that makes sense because like you see like the, the cardboard cut out of the wings with the rainbow paint Uh behind it and all that. So it's like, what the fuck? But then, yeah, when 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 you finally get to the end, you 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 understand it. Um, I really like the conference room joke too, like the conference room getting confused about what it calls itself and apologizing because it's got oh. first day, first day intercom jitters. I thought that was pretty. That's just Justin Roiland being crazy, but I thought it was funny. Yeah, I assume they have an AI. It's like a Jarvis sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, doing, doing their intercom work. The other thing is. Um, how much of these I, I've been keeping track of like some of these side threats to Earth. Like in this one, there's these huh. uh leeches that are crawling everywhere and and Rick's like, don't let any of these get away because it'll cause uh all like mammal life or all life to be sterile on Earth. Uh then the bird gets one <laughs> and Rick makes a comment about, well, Morty, you better free some sperm while you still can. Is this are any of these ever going to like lead anywhere? Like, are we we're gonna get in season six and like Rick's gonna have a trial from like against humanity for all the shit that he's done to Earth? Oh, like the the end of Seinfeld or something? Yes, that's a perfect. That's the exact exact tone of what I'm trying to go yeah. for. Like the whole, we totally could. Yeah, like like the series kind of like never takes it serious, but then at the there's a one point where like we're going to put our normal human hats and kind of review the absolute carnage, <laughs> especially since it would be like whatever this Earth throws at Earth and some or at Rick and some kind of tribunal, it'd be dwarfed by the stuff it doesn't know about. Like the whole <laughs> right. like uh, you know prosecution could rest at the Cronenberg 
uh, incident, but there's probably no way of them knowing that that's actually a thing. Do you think that this will this is this just a joke or is some I, of this damage starting to accumulate? I think they will revisit some of these things eventually. I mean, look, we got seven seasons coming up at least. I, I think you have to revisit some of them. Now, will we get you know the Seinfeld style thing? I don't know. Right, but. Something's got to happen with this stuff. In the same kind of vein, there's something I've been noticing about Rick's power creep. Like in this episode, we find out that he's got a nanoscale defense mesh embedded in his skin that essentially makes him him, uh, invulnerable to like physical combat. Uh, Do you think there's ever going to be an issue with that where like all the different things that Rick has done throughout all the series essentially (laughs) makes him... uh, like a Superman type of character who's like, we've, we've talked about who's going to be his con, you know, mm-hmm. uh, who's going to, is going to be evil Morty is going to be one of this, but like, is it possible that they're they're, they're His power level is going to creep up so much that like nothing can stop him. Yeah. Uh, it's possible. I, I think they, they treat that stuff as sort of throwaway. Like you look at when he was fighting uh Zeep in, you know, the, the microverse, the teeny for whatever the fuck verse it was. Right. Uh, inside his car battery, he definitely got punched a, a whole lot of times, and it didn't seem like his fi- microfiber mesh was doing much. Maybe for that's him why there. he installed it. He decided he never okay. wanted to get in yeah. a you know situation where he's reduced to primitive technology and has mm-hmm. to the fisticuffs himself. Although he, I think he likes, it does, seems like he does like kicking people's ass and spinning on them. I, I think so. Yeah, uh, because that happens in Star Trek too. Like uh, you know, Data will invent a way to make the shield three hundred times stronger. Mm-hmm. to survive a solar flare that never feeds back into the rest of the episodes like that <laughs> no. never is like oh suddenly the federation has a 300 percent advantage over the romulans and and shield strings so they should just yeah. be able to instantly win any war it's like yeah this technology or oh we can use our deflector ship to punch through a board cube uh-huh now we got an omega weapon no they always forget about it i wonder <laughs> since rick and morty seems to be among other things kind of like a. Uh, a parody pastiche of these Star Trek, uh, Doctor mm-hmm. Who kind of things, maybe they'll roll the same way. It's like, well, just because Rick has a defense mesh in this net, or maybe he's got a laser eye in another, doesn't mean he'll always have that. Yeah, I think everything I've I've gotten, uh, I've taken away from what the creators have said is like, think of this like The Simpsons, right? Some things will evolve, some things won't, and it's going to be pretty arbitrary, which ones we we change and which we don't. After the short break, we'll be back with writer and comedian for Screen Junkies, Honest Trailers, as well as co-host on Maximum Fun's Tights and Fights as Danielle Radford. We'll be right back. And man, we gotta all give it up for Rick, because I mean, what kind of mother just sets up a whole festival like this when he's completely... Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter first two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. (laughs) 
She writes for Screen Junkies Honest Trailers. She hosts and writes for Fandom.com and does a podcast on a Maximum Fun network called Tights and Fights. It's all about wrestling. Welcome to the podcast, Danielle Radford. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I was scanning uh, earlier this morning your Twitter feed, and I had a lot of fun uh, because <laughs> you're very funny. And I also like I how am... you give people solid life advice. Like uh, you had this like public service announcement, like, hey, everybody, it's independent contractor. Those net 30s stretching to net 45s and net 60s over the holidays. <laughs> so you better save up a little so you don't get evicted on Christmas. That's that's solid yep. life advice. That's that's, uh, that's just real. I forget about it. It was literally like I had a calendar reminder for myself because after last year, I promised I wasn't going to do that to myself again. And so when it came up, I was like, you know, I bet other people could also use the advice that it's time to start saving. Uh, yeah, it's 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 great. It's needed. I also loved your um, uh, advice for if you've got a burp that's not coming out, it's just not happening. You play the ducktails mm-hmm. beat on your chest, and I'm like, wait, how's that work? And then I started doing the fist, pump, fist, pump, fist. Life is like a her, and I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> yeah. it's that she's got it, she's got it. It totally works. And uh, yeah, I'm I am a dummy. <laughs> I'm glad you appreciate my dumb tweets. <laughs> uh, also, final thing. Uh, well, actually, not final thing because it turns out we have a ton of connections. Found out we're both Virgos, so represent. <laughs> yeah. And also, Holy crap. also, what, what day are you? Uh, 31st August. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. Uh, I was born on the Queen's Day, Beyonce's birthday. So, wow, mm. I saw. Yeah, that's like that's <laughs> that's that's high. That's 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 high society connection you got there. Yeah, it, it's like me, um, the wrestler Xavier Woods, a couple other wrestlers actually. <laughs> a lot of wrestlers born on September fourth. Uh, so we we actually before we did the po- phone call I talked a whole bunch of history uh, about like turns out we all have a, a hidden Indiana Hoosier connection, but <laughs> I think the fans would like to know like what's your Rick and Morty history like what's your what's your connection to show when did you kind of discover it uh, you know let, let let's talk about it let's get into it. Well, so I've been a fan of like um, a lot of Dan Harmon's work for years. And so uh, I had not, I think it was like the first season and this is going to be lame. And I promise you all out there, this is only the, this is the first time this has ever happened to me, but I'm going to sound like a lame weirdo. My boyfriend introduced me to it. Normally it's the other way around, but this was the one time when he was like, Hey, are you watching this thing? It's like really funny. And it was right in the, the, the first season. And so he started telling me about it. I was like, Oh, that sounds like a fun, like sci-fi parody. Cause I love genre stuff. Um, and then he buried the lead about about who made it. And so then I just started watching immediately. I what what uh, what's your favorite episode? If I put you on put you on a spot. Um, I mean, it has to be it sucks now because like awful, horrible, lame people ruined it. But it's Pickle Rick. I think it's a great episode. <laughs> I think it's very well written. Um, I enjoy reading the tweets of the woman who wrote it, like talking about trying to explain it to her parents. Uh-huh. It's amazing. And it it just sucks that like, and I know from toxic fan bases because I come from a, a, a video game background and a, a comic book background, a movie background. So I know a lot about toxic fan bases, but sometimes it's like, guys, you've got to chill. Like that dude at the McDonald's who had that mini yeah. freak out. And even if he was being ironic, it still sucks. Yeah. Um, just be a person. That, that, so like that's it's, a yeah, lot. it sucks that that got memed. Yeah, it sucked that that episode got memed into being um something kind of lame now because I love it. And and it's the other part of that episode, which I feel like is the better part of that episode, is so overlooked because of everything else. It's it's a yes. shame. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, sorry. I uh 
I, we were talking uh, before the podcast about like your superhero history and it turns out like mm-hmm. you're like really kind of like, you know, plugged in that you were into the X-Men. Um, or now when, cause like there were, I was a big X-Men fan back and I maybe a couple years ahead of you, but that was like kind of peak X-Men cause there were so many mutant books on the market. Were you like in like X-Men, X-Factor, X-Force, Uncanny? Like, Oh, what? I read them all. Yeah. Generation X. Every I read if it had an X in it, I was buying it that month. Yeah, everything Wolverine, everything. Um, you know, Nightcrawler miniseries, I had it. Anything with the, just that era of I mean, we all talk about obviously, um, obviously the the pouches, but just that era of um, really ornate costumes covered in bomber jackets. Yep. It's very classic. Yep, yep. It's like a kind of uh, who was behind that? Like I think Jim Lee might have contributed the bomber jackets. The pockets was Rob Leefield. He loved. Can he I tell ne- you? If, never saw a pouch. I or met a him in an, No, I met him in an elevator at uh, Comic Con not this year but last year because he was staying at the hotel I was staying at. And I do have a brown purse, or at least I did at the time, that had a bunch of pockets and pouches on it. Uh-huh. And so I saw him, and I was like, oh, hey, like, you know, I'm, you know, trying to be cool because I'm an industry professional. Right. I'm like, hey, like, you know, very nice to meet you. I'm a huge fan. And he goes, oh, thank you so much. I love your purse. <laughs> a lot of pouches. <laughs> and I was like, He did yeah. not. He did not. No, he did. He knows He knows he's a meme. He I knows guess exactly that's true. who he is. Yeah. If yeah. you go on to his... Um, onto his uh, Instagram, he has an original character that he always puts stuff in. It's called The Pouch, and it is just a man made, you know, talk about a million ants. It is a man made of like a million pouches. He knows exactly who he is. Oh my God. Yeah, if you don't don't know Rob, he he, he kind of became famous or infamous for his very peculiar art style uh, from that Mm -hmm. like 90s, early 2000s period. So you're probably like me kind of excited when you saw like, you know, Vindicators 3 come up and it's this, it's this kind of like comic book parody. Talk about, uh, your, the episode, what you thought, uh, what you thought of it. Um, yeah, it was one of those ones where I was like, this is very, is this specific? Did they do this on purpose? Um, just because of my background with superheroes and some of the writing and stuff that I do it. I mean, obviously most of Rick and Morty gets really, really dark, but I feel like this was one of those episodes where we really got to explore in particular, um, like the darkness of drunk Rick Mm. and the way that, that um, when you're, you know, getting real deep here, but when you're dealing with a family member who you love and you have to work around their, um, their afflictions, like their alcoholism or other things like that. Especially, you know, uh, Morty's trying to disarm the neutron bomb, and Rick's like, "How many times?" He's like, "Too many." Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you really get into obviously like the 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 love of in that relationship, and it gets into to stuff about hero worship, and it's obviously a huge. I feel like a lot of creators these days are trying to find ways to simultaneously and it's a really hard difficult hard uh, like uh balancing act to both be like hey the superheroes are what people fucking pay money for i'm sorry can i say that oh yes Um, (laughs) okay cool um superheroes are what people pay money for and so we gotta throw in something superhero related but can we please just acknowledge that no one is paying for anything else (laughs) it reminds me of have you seen spider-man far from home Mm -hmm. oh yeah 
Yeah, so there's that scene where Quentin Beck is like, you can be the smartest person in the room, you know, you can be the most intelligent person in the room, and if you don't have a cape, no one cares. So it's, you know, that kind of meta-commentary, which I feel like, obviously, Vindicators 3 is really about the relationship between Rick and Morty and Rick's relationship with alcohol, but it's also, you know, obviously it's a commentary on the fact that, like, it, it doesn't matter what else anyone's doing or how smart you are, people only care about the dudes in capes that fly. Yeah, I thought going to your point about like um, the relationship between Rick and Morty is what the interesting wrinkle here is usually, you know, when, when the, you know, Rick is being awful to Morty, they're kind of in like in an isolated situation, you know, usually the parents aren't mm -hmm. around, they're in another dimension. And the, the wrinkle here is like Morty could have like, you know, forged a relationship with the Vindicators and maybe even jump ship. And I wonder if that's what really brought the blackout, like uh, trailer, trailer park uh, alcoholism uh, that was on display. Because like he, you know, uh, he may maybe could have uh, lost Morty. Now it's interesting because it turns out the Vindicators mm -hmm. are pretty shitty people too. So so who knows? <laughs> yeah, they're the worst. Yeah, yeah, like Vindicators Four, they do another planetary genocide, and maybe maybe <laughs> Morty's wanting to roll back with Rick. But I thought that was an interesting wrinkle. The fact that maybe what really threatened him is that. Uh, you know, Morty's getting out with other people and he could be replaced. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that that's a very um, tactic. And I don't think that it's, um, I don't think that I'm stretching anything to say that Rick is obviously a verbally abusive person. He loves people, sure. but he throw, he pushes them away because he's scared and he's slightly verbally abusive. Um, it is It is one of the funniest parts of his character because mm -hmm. he's very good at it. But that is the thing about, like, this is why this episode is dark to me, because unlike a lot of the other ways in which Rick and Morty can be dark, this is one of those ones where it's like, oh, this is about, like, an abuser's relationship with his abused and getting afraid that, like, you know, that's why abusers do isolate people because they know that, oh, if other people, if, if they're exposed to something and people who are treating them better than I treat them and <clears throat> people who are maybe they think are better than me, then they'll leave me. That's to me, that was what made it so dark because not just like the killing and all that stuff, like that stuff's kind of standard, but in the way that it really did feel like, oh, this is about like an abuser and like the abused, but in a funny, lighthearted way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 like there's the this point of, um, you know, one of the, the, the classic things that he's doing is, um, you know, he's just trying to prove a point. Uh, it's like there's right. not, you know, it's like he's just and the point is you're not special. Mm -hmm. um it's really the the only thing that makes you special is that you hang around with me and you should you should think about that <laughs> and and that's sober rick like it's <laughs> yeah. crazy to me that the alter ego yeah. of rick which which i kind of look at it as like you know his his superman to his clark kent except it's even more evil yeah like that's the thing it's it's even worse right like drunken rick doesn't care at all uh blackout rick doesn't mm -hmm. care at all for morty uh whereas sober rick at least will you know ha have it have enough understanding of himself that he knows and he can admit when life, you know, life and limb are on the line mm -hmm. that uh, maybe the thing that I, you know, couldn't do without is Morty. Maybe we should put him up there uh, yeah. on that platform. Right. But but Blackout Rick is just he's on another level of evil. He's like a, a super villain to me. Yeah. I mean, he even loses yeah, the it, plot. It, like, you know, the whole point mm -hmm. is I I'm scared to lose Morty. But by the time he's in his drunken blackout stage, it's all becomes about Nunu. And it's just coincidental <laughs> that he weighs the same same as uh, or nub nub noob noob weighs noob noob weighs the same as Morty or they'd noob. all have been blown up or who knows what mm -hmm. happens right. if, if he wired the bomb well, right. 
and it's also what's funny is that like he Rick in this he also becomes like a super villain trope <laughs> which is what's hilarious is because this is you know um it's the superheroes and superheroes are lame and all that stuff but he becomes Lex Luthor like this combination of Lex Luthor and Toy Man and they do it through like oh it's like Saw no this is very classically like Superman you know or or the Riddler or someone who uses their intellect as a weapon yeah, I mean, by the end of this episode, he is the subtitle, right? He is World Ender. Uh, he's yeah, kinda, he's, yep. he's replaced World Ender. He's World Ender Ender. Yeah, he's both. <laughs> uh, what I really enjoyed, um, one of the things I really enjoyed is is how the, they poked kind of fun at superheroes without descending into parody. Like, uh, it's something that they, they talked about in the commentary track on the Blu-rays is that they intentionally set out to make, like, all of these vindicators are definitely, like, pastiches of, of, of comic book characters, um, but also, like, they were not supposed to, like, just be silly for the sake of it. Like, you could conceive of like supernova being in an actual you know uh, a comic book you could conceive of i don't know about million ant-man that would be a that'd be maybe a weird dark horse image project but like alan, yeah that one's definitely vertigo yeah alan rails you can see that as like this kind of a kind of a ghost rider batman haunted by his mm-hmm. past type of character if they if they do a vindicators four because Vindicators 3, we, we're much like we're with the real-life Avengers. Uh, the team is essentially decimated. There's only, like, what? <laughs> Nova is the sole surviving member of the Vindicators. Mm-hmm. A noob noob, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, so you got that core to build around. Vindicators 4, who's your pick for new Rick and Morty superhero? Let's do some do some conceptual brainstorming here. Well, see, what I love about this, and one of the things I loved about it is a lot of times when people do the parodies, it's just straight up like, you know, I love The Boys. I think that that's a great series. Mm. But you can see exactly what they're doing and who each of those characters is supposed to be. Sure. Like, it's almost like a one-one kind of parody. And what I appreciate about The Vindicators is that you can kind of see some of that, but some of it is just like them having, like, creative fun. And you can just throw, um, you know, any two things together almost and make, like, another one. Um, I would love if they, you know, had some kind of character who maybe they travel through the Internet and that's that's their thing. And that's how they know people because they're omniscient and they can go through the Internet and they would have like a very silly name like Netboy. Um, <laughs> Crockbot is amazing because that's literally like two things. You take a crocodile and then a robot and then you th- throw them together. And that's amazing. Um, so I think any form of you take an animal and then something else and then you throw it together. Um, so maybe it could be an animal that could be inside the internet, you know? Yeah, I was thinking, how about how about thousand squirrels? <laughs> yes. You don't need as many to make <laughs> right, the same right. equivalent body mass. Yeah, I, yeah, they're they're pretty big. One of the tropes that I enjoy about comic book is the like uh, like indestructible person, but they still feel it all. Like like the classic is Wolverine. Like there's a lot of like cl- like mm. Wolverine monologuing as he's getting I don't mm. know the adamantium pulled out of a skeleton by. Uh, by Magneto, or he's getting like mm-hmm. the flesh flamethrowered off his bow, and he's like, he's always like, he's always so jaded, like you know, his samurai swords going through his guts, and it's like, ah, the fool <laughs> left himself open to my schnick schnick. I would love to see kind of like those quote unquote invincible but still wounded vulnerable heroes, and like uh, you know, catching a monologuing about yes. his life and torment and all that. That'd be a very. I will say, 
if you think that something like that would be really funny, there was um, during when Marvel still had their Max line, I want to say it was Garth Ennis did a Punisher, um, a run on Punisher. And one of them was just how many different ways he could comically beat the shit out of Wolverine. And not just like the Punisher, but like like all of these different characters. And so by the end of it, Wolverine is just like barely hanging on and everything that happens to him is violent and hilarious. Yeah. I that so that's that, definitely worth looking up. I gotta check that out. I gotta check that out. I because that, that's the other one is the other archetype that I felt like was not represented is the just straight up vigilante, you know, the antihero, the Punisher, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sufficient like if there's a sufficient world ender, maybe they because that was always like the fun quote-unquote fun uh, team-up is like when Spider-Man would get thrown in with the Punisher because they're having to take down a greater threat in New York City. It's like, you uh, know. I feel like maybe Rick is supposed to be that in this episode, guess, at least yeah. at the start, because they call them in, right? Yeah. They need Rick's help. Not, not, he's... So, not drunk, Rick. Oh, my God. No, 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 no. Oh, my God, you're right. Rick is Rick is the uh, more nihilistic Punisher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is he? Well, and I mean, uh, uh, Morty is su- he is Spider-Man like flat out he mm-hmm. is Spider-Man yeah. and in fact there are times when I've talked about it if you I am convinced that sometimes Tom Holland is just well he's not doing Morty he's I think he's doing um, he's, he's rocking his back to the future but he is just straight up doing that voice sometimes even with like the same like crack in it like um, <laughs> during Infinity War when he goes Mr. Stark it smells like a new car in here and he's just doing like <laughs> Morty. I can see that for sure. For sure. Uh, are you familiar with Scud the Disposable Assassin? Yes. Because okay. mm-hmm. that's like Rob Schraub uh, uh, wrote, and I didn't even illustrate that, uh, a series about this uh, uh, cyborg assassin, and he's a big buddy with uh, uh, Dan Harmon. In fact, I guess he was he was responsible for directing a lot of the season four stuff that's coming out. I've, I gather from being a fan of the oh, Harmontown wow. podcast. But I would like I wonder if there could be like a like a handshake deal where Scud can appear as a as a character. That would be great. Yeah. Didn't Scud have just like a crap ton of figure like action figures too? Because you could do a bunch of different stuff with the body parts. Or am I thinking of something else? I don't know if it ever got big enough to have an action figure. Certainly, because uh, I I discovered uh, Scud like after it was already said and done. Like that, I think it wrapped up in '98, and I just is it was, it was mm-hmm. me listening to Harmontown and. The, I remember there was one particular uh, <laughs> uh, Comic Con where Schraub's whole play, like his whole mission, was to get rid of every last copy of Scud that he still had. You know, trying to blow him <laughs> out. So I'm like, ah, oh. so I got the 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 whole shebang collection. I was trying to work my way through, but I, I think that would be fun and a nice little Harmon Dan Harmon connection too. That would be really fun. That's a great character. Yeah, no, there was there was a figure, um, and it had like a bunch of points of articulation because that's the way that he's built. Yeah, you'd have to. I, I, I could totally mm-hmm. see it translating. Uh, hey, so I want to talk about that Logic cameo at the end. Yeah? I want to hear that whole song, first of <laughs> all. I I like the way that they look, because Logic is black, but no one knows that. So <laughs> I'm just like, not to disparage my light-skinned uh, brethren, but uh-huh. he's black and no one knows it. And they did a really good job picking a shade for him, because I was wondering how they were going to do it, because he does just pass as a white dude, but they did manage to pick a shade, which makes him look not totally white, which was amazing. But yeah, that yeah. song was great. I loved when it came out. It was like, have I got paid yet? The huge party, we got to, you know, shut up summer. Um the party sequence at the end was amazing. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I like when you can have a cameo like that where it's not the selling point of the episode. It's just kind of a fun thing that happens. They're not trying to do a big like, ooh, guest starring logic. 
Mm. Yeah, he just comes out of yeah. It's like it just comes out of nowhere at the end. Mm-hmm. I wonder because I, I I know yeah, if, I was... if you go to like the Home Depot or Lowe's, you can take like a sample of something and they put it in a machine and it like spits out the exact color that that thing is. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's how they color match logic. Is <laughs> it? <laughs> hey, uh, can you put, put your hand in here? Bing! Oh yeah, you just get you get the t- two ounces of the burnt sienna <laughs> with the white, and it's the perfect tone. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I think that you can do that. Um, there's a makeup counter where they have, uh, I think it's prescriptives. I, this is real, where they'll like run this thing on your face that does the same thing as, I guess, the Photoshop picker tool. Yeah. And they'll, huh. pick out, like, they'll pick out a foundation for you based on that. So That's probably more likely. I think they all have Photoshop. They probably didn't drag them to Home Depot. They just <laughs> used the, they used the, the color picker tool. Uh, but see, in my head canon, now it's Logic and Home Depot both getting <laughs> color typed and trying to figure out if he's allowed to make a copy of his key that says do not copy ah yeah that's one of the great you know it's like that and, and tearing off your tags off your furniture mm-hmm. i mean we we need the we need the legality of this debated uh Look, where i'm gonna do it it's my furniture <laughs> where yeah who's gonna who's gonna turn you in who where where can people mm-hmm. find you on the internet danielle and is there anything that you want to what's your i know you're um you're 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 a part of the maximum funds uh uh, uh, what is it? Tights and fights. Tights is the intersection of the superhero, and you got the fights with the <laughs> wrestling. I guess tights and fights is all. It mm-hmm. could be superhero or mm-hmm. wrestling, but it is wrestling. It could be. Um, but yeah, this is specifically wrestling. We talk about all of it. We're talking about. Um, we talk about Japan, WWE, uh, who uh, AEW coming up. So it's me, Hal Lovelin, who is uh, a voice actor. Um, he plays Wide Whale on Venture Brothers. He's great and amazing. He has his own podcast as well. Very cool. Lindsay Kelk, who is a romance author <laughs> uh, from England, who loves wrestling. And then we also have um, not as much as we'd like because he's like famous, but we also have Mike Eagle on um, rapper uh, Open Mike Eagle. And so yeah, that's it. And then we'll have some guests and do some fun stuff. And that that is something I enjoy. I, I'm also again um, I am on Screen Junkies. I help write the honest trailers. And then on fandom, I am one of the hosts of uh, SJU, which is Screen Junkies Universe. And you can also just find me. I work for Nerdist sometimes doing junkets and interviews, and I'm kind of all over the internet because I'm freelance, so you can buy me. <laughs> and and make sure you pay her over Christmas because those yeah. those, those net 30s, the, 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 they should be ironclad. I, I did not nah. know that Open Mike Equal is one of your guys' co-hosts on the, the Rasslin' Pod. I've really enjoyed yes. his attempts to tutor Dan in, in the, bettering his freestyle rap when he comes on Harmontown. Those are some of the highlight episodes. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Mike is great. He's a huge wrestling fan. He fell off because WWE... Um, has done some really, and I think we were all really happy to embrace, there's a new company coming out called AEW, and I think we're really happy to embrace it because WWE has been shadier and shittier than they usually are in terms of the way they treat their talent and in terms of like doing weird, you know, getting paid a lot of money to do weird shows and then bringing back racists and we're all not super down with it. Um, Plus also just like it's something new and exciting. Yeah, it's funny because I, I keep my hand a little bit in wrestling because my dad uh, was and is still a huge fan. And I remember I, I watched a lot of that in my youth with him. So I still kind of like keep and I, I've gotten the impression that a lot of people are over the, the McMahon, McMahon brand of, of, of wrestling. I mean, it's still good. And the people who work there are great. And when they do stories right, they really hit it out of the park. They've got the money to do it. They can afford to do it. But they wind up, they're so busy chasing, you know, the Attitude Era and what is known of as the glory days that they're they're not really spending a lot of time 
investing in um, newer talent, in, in, except for when they have to. Mm. And so that can be a bummer. And so I think all of us are kind of like, let's look more to the future of this business because you're now booking people who don't have knees anymore. Mm. And I don't want to watch necessarily two 60-year-old men fighting for 10 minutes. I yeah. don't think that that's really interesting or good. So... And and yeah, so Mike, uh, because of and then like them bringing back Hulk Hogan and all this stuff, he's been taking a break from that. But he's really into like New Japan right now and AEW. So when we do big AEW shows, he always comes back and shows up, which is great because we miss him. Daniel Radford, we will put your contact information in our show notes if people want to uh, jump on there and follow you along. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Human music. I like it. All right, Jim, are you ready to plot to the future? Yeah, I'm ready. This is, of course, where we take our portal guns, tune them to Dimension BM-77, and look ahead uh, for behind-the-scenes details, spoilers for future episodes, etc., etc. Did you know that this is Rick and Morty's second MA, TV MA rating? Oh, I didn't. That it earned for its use of fucks, which I find bizarre because when it airs, it airs with all the fucks bleeped. Mm-hmm. So is that something that like Cartoon Network sends the episode through just to get rated and then regard like it it, it bleeps them? Like, I'm not sure why it does that. Does yeah, it reserve that's, the... that's strange. Yeah. Does it ever air it at a later date without the... I mean, I know if you watch it on Cartoon Network's website... Usually not bleeped. Or if you the watch Blu-rays, them on the, yeah. the Blu-rays, or if you watch them on, uh, you know, if you if you purchase this episode, the season through like Amazon or iTunes, like they're not bleeped. Mm-hmm. So like, how the fuck did it get in TVMA if it's bleeps off? It's if it's fuck use. I don't know, man. Uh, another thing is, it looks like Crocubot or the race that Crocubot is based on is going to return at some point in season four. And, uh, that's a shame. He's the least interesting of the superhero characters. Well, see, in my that's opinion. what I'm wondering, like. The it's obvious that that like Dan and Justin know this because that's the yeah. joke. The fact that like you take two awesome things together, crocodiles and cyborgs, and and you put them together, and they're less <laughs> literally less interesting than the sum of their parts. Mm-hmm. So like, is that going to like what's the plot point that brings them back? Uh, are they mad that they had like a thriving superhero career and then like Rick blew up your spot? Like now everybody realizes like, well, these are just less interesting. Cro- these are these are these are either less interesting robots or crocodiles. Either way, you 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 do more with more croc than bot or more bot than croc. I guess it's like if the Kryptonians, like if you if you splatted Superman, like you just crushed him between you know two. Uh, objects, which you obviously couldn't do to Superman unless you were superpowered yourself. What if they were two giant hunks of kryptonite? Yeah, let's say you create a kryptonite platform and it smashes Superman. Okay, the Kryptonians would probably be pretty pissed, right? Like, sure. you, th- this was our hero. Like, mm-hmm. they'd be Morty in this situation. Like, Rick, what the fuck did you do to our hero? So they're 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 the Crocubot was the best of them, right? So they're wanting revenge. Could be okay. All right, I can that's, get, that's just my that. back of the envelope idea. Which there were a lot of back of the envelope ideas. Actually, some of them really good for this episode. Yeah, do you want to talk about Arrow Girl? Oh, it's such a shame that this stuff got cut. So 
one of the 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 a plot of this episode is supposed to be the fact that like Morty kind of had this uh, romance with one of the other Vindicator episodes uh, that takes place off air mm-hmm. between this Arrow girl who since uh, since since the last one had become Arrow woman mm-hmm. or I think they call her Quiver they do uh, so like you know girl this this conceit the girls mature faster than boys and as a result uh, Morty felt like he had to keep up so he had Grandpa Rick. Essentially, uh, uh, soup up his uh, robotic murder suit that they wore in the pur- Look Who's Purging Now. Mm-hmm. And what I guess happened was there's a love triangle where Arrow Woman <laughs> fell in love with the suit because the suit is much more capable and sophisticated and suave than Morty himself. Uh-huh. That sounds like a pretty fantastic idea for a plot. I think so. Uh now they do mention, you know, that sometimes these things get pulled out and created, uh, and actually given new life in another episode. I'm kind of hoping that happens at some point because now we have the concept of the vind- vindicators. Yeah, come yeah. back with vindicator six, and you yeah. just do just do it. Uh, you'd have to explain like, but I think they there's actually even a great reason to do that because we in real life, quote unquote, real life have just lived through the first kind of like complete phase of Marvel where mm-hmm. damn near everyone in the Avengers got mothballed, killed, rolled up, retired, and they're having to start all over again. So like that could be a part of the joke is the Avenger six is you've got a whole new cast of like slightly less interesting characters. For example, Arrow Girl could be kind of a Hawkeye reference and hawkeye i think is widely held as the least interesting avenger uh-huh. so it's almost built in meta commentary that you're you're starting a whole other vindicators based on the left the people that didn't make the cut the first time yeah i i think there's a lot of potential for an episode like that and i hope we see something around that idea yeah. eventually they also mentioned other like they had dr reach was kind of, which is kind of like a, a reed richards uh, yeah, kind stretchy. of uh, also two conjoined twins that were brother and sister that was going to be Dan described as like the incest version of ambiguously gay duo like oh they have a strong <laughs> brother sister bond and they're inseparable literally and they sleep in the same bed and is this a Lannister type of thing or yeah but I that I I could see that being funny yeah so, maybe but I think some of these were cut uh were, were smart cuts to make yeah yeah, uh, like a knitting grandma. I don't know how you're gonna get a knitting grandma superhero, but maybe that could be funny. Um, I thought that it's interesting that they had this dilemma where uh, Rick is all portrayed as always. He's never sober, mm-hmm. like in the kind of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous sense of the word. He's at some some layer layer of an, an, an inebriated the entire time. And Justin Roiland, the creator and the voice of Rick. Also frequently uh, hammered in his voice recordings uh, sessions. So they had the idea, like, how do you, you you've already you've already used all your ammunition and just your, your steady state. How do you perform a heroically drunk or a blackout drunk Rick? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess one of the solutions was they just got Justin, like, completely plastered. Um, there's a couple of, uh, man, I don't know if it's on the Blu-rays or if I just saw this as a YouTube clip. But there are clips of, uh, you know, the the people that are co- coaching him in the voice acting. Like, he's like, ah, you think I need another drink? And they're like, no, Justin. And he's just, like, guzzling. And like, oh, Jesus. It didn't, it didn't seem like it was a pr- especially productive use of their time. On the <laughs> other hand, Justin proclaimed, like, the day, like, half of the his, his reads that made it to the screen were from that recording instance. I don't know. Hmm. 
Okay. Of course, if he was blackout drunk, then how would he know? Uh, I mean, he could listen to the recordings afterward. True, but how would he know which of the? I don't know. I, I was just thinking of whatever like, he doesn't remember <laughs> came from the blackout session, right? Because that's like if. But I'm like at one point, if he's like in the recording booth and he's naked and he's covered in shit, like mm-hmm. you know, how would he know which <laughs> tape came from which session? Uh, yeah. But what? Well, yeah, whatever. It the uh, it it seemed like it worked. Like I think that. The way it works is like Rick is a high function alcoholic, so when he's drunk, he's he's still on his game. The way they got the performance is it's not much of performance; is all in the writing. Like the fact that oh, I'm sleepy, I need to shut my eyes. Yeah, uh, you know, losing the kind of the plot like that's not Rick like. So you don't need him to sound especially drunk. It's just he's acting especially drunk. Yeah, one of the the more interesting, I guess, writing points that Dan was talking about in this commentary was. The idea of sort of telling the audience that that nothing is sacred. It, it's like a, a sort of Game of Thrones type thing. Nothing is sacred except for the things that are. Because if you truly say nothing is sacred, then people are going to tune out and go to another show. Because nothing means anything right. in this show. So you have right. to keep, you have to walk that tightrope between like subverting everything that people expect, but also giving them enough to grab onto to keep them watching the show. And th- this show walks that line so perfectly mm-hmm. uh, because I could see, you know, an Avengers style episode in a lesser show just being eye rolly, like either going too far to try and make their points or, you know, just playing it too, too much like a hokey version of Avengers. Yeah. And look, you know, just lampooning it in a way that's not funny uh-huh. uh, because it's been so overdone. So I don't know. I think they nail it. Um you know, it, and it, it's telling that Dan thinks about these things a lot when he's writing. Also, I think one of the th- reasons that when they do these kind of pastiches that work so well is it's not just like an Avengers parody, because this is like an Avengers parody seen through the lens of Saw. Mm-hmm. And in that role, Morty is kind of like uh, the trope of the like serial killer whisperer or the criminal profiler. He's the uh, agent Starling. He's uh, whatever the guy is from uh, Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the name of that character. But he's that way only with blackout drunks that uh, only he knows what Rick's bizarre ritual means here. And only he knows what like. And, mm-hmm. and part of that funny stuff is the specificity. Which is like, you know, the fact that Rick knows or Morty knows that when Rick gets drunk that he starts babbling about Israel. So, like, I kind (laughs) of thought that's one of the things is like it's not where the superhero um, parody starts to flag. Then the kind of true crime Hannibal slash Saw stuff starts to pick up and and, and vice versa. And even just the the deep dive into Rick, you know, Rick's mind, Mm -hmm. uh, which which always is a, a good crutch for this show to lean on right and then again like i just really love that where you just got the human drama of yep. like these lovers but now they're super powered so they're <laughs> talking about you Damn. know did you like his uh, six million wriggling legs inside of you and you know the the the, the line renova's got like yes and we I, I, there was a life inside of me but it died because it was half million ants and half collapsing star like <laughs> That's just, and then her, you know, all of the fact that she rips his heart out, and it's actually the Ant Queen, uh-huh. uh, the way A Train dies, or, or not A Train. Sorry, yeah. that's a different show. Yeah, Alan uh, Rails. Alan Rails dies. Yeah, getting getting uh, exploded by a million ant, by, by death by million ants explosion. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's good. 
Tickle Me This is distributed by Bald Move in association with Starburns Audio. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch from Starburns and myself, Manayron, from Bald Move. All music featured on this podcast is from the Rick and Morty soundtrack, available from Sub Pop Records. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To discover the many other great shows we do, please check out baldmove.com and starburns.audio. If you appreciate what we do and want to directly support us, consider joining our club at club.baldmove.com to get access to exclusive bonus audio and video features. Finally, you can follow us on your favorite social media at Bald Move. See you next time. All aboard, motherfucker!